as going about speaking of the fact that there's going to be no peace, there's going to be no rest. And you know why there's going to be no peace and there's going to be no rest? Jeremiah tells them that the reason is, is because they won't let the Lord have his way. They won't let the Lord have his way with them. And so the Lord is going to lead them into a time of judgment where there will be no peace, where there will be no rest. And it's for a purpose of waking them up to realize their sin and disobedience to God because there are people who won't let the Lord have his way. They won't obey him. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you this morning that we can gather together. Lord, may we truly indeed anticipate you working in our hearts and minds. May we open your word this morning with an eager appetite to be fed, to be filled, to be encouraged, and in some cases to be rebuked. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth this morning and have free course and be glorified. Lord, I pray that we might learn from the nation of Israel, from their disobedience, from the faithfulness of Jeremiah, from his obedience, that we may see and bring parallels and applications to our own lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You remember some time ago, Pastor Virgil was preaching from Hebrews, and he talked about the day of provocation. The day of provocation and the time that was described in Hebrews was speaking of the days when the children of Israel, in unbelief, God said, it's gone, your unbelief, your sin is so serious that it's the day of provocation. The day of judgments come. There's no turning back from judgment. Judgment's happening regardless. And it prevented them from entering into the land of rest into the promised land. And they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, really not experiencing the rest because of the day of provocation when their unbelief had built up to a certain point where God said, that's enough. All those 20 years old and older will not enter into the promised land. Well, you know, throughout history, and the reason why it was being given there in Hebrews was to warn even us in the church age to beware, beware of unbelief, of unbelief. And throughout Israel's history, they had many occasions of, you might say, days of provocation. And in the days of Jeremiah, in order to really understand Jeremiah, we have to recognize and know that it was a day of provocation. It was a buildup of generation after generation after generation fathers and their children and their children and their children who disobeyed God, who did not believe him, who did not trust him, who loved to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, telling them the things they wanted to hear. And it came a point in the days of Jeremiah, remember Huldah, Josiah said it is enough. No matter what happens, judgment is coming. But yet Jeremiah continues to preach to the people. And it is kind of a complication here because sometimes it's like, Jeremiah, what's the point in preaching? The judgment's coming anyway. Well, indeed, truly, the judgment was coming anyway. But God still cared about his people and he still wanted them on an individual basis to let him have his way with them. 
in the sense of them coming to him in humility and belief and obeying him, even in the midst of great judgment upon the nation as a whole. You've maybe wondered in Romans chapter 1 where it speaks of God turning a people over to a reprobate mind. Well, in the days of Jeremiah, we see a group of people who have been turned over to a reprobate mind. It seems as if they cannot change their ways. In fact, later we'll see a little example of it. Jeremiah speaks of, can, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? And he's basically saying, you have so long continued in unbelief and in your wicked way, it's as if you can do nothing to stop your sinning, to stop your unbelief, just as the Ethiopian, the black man, can't change his skin to be a white man. It's just as a leopard can't take and remove his spots. So these people have continued so long in their unbelief and in their disobedience that they've come to a point where judgment is imminent, and some of them to a reprobate mind where they won't change. And yet, in spite of all of this, Jeremiah preaches to them. Remember I told you about this yoke? The yoke? You see this one here, it's, it's broken, right? How does it go back together? We think that Jeremiah carried this yoke for 11 years before it was broken as a sign of coming judgment. But you know, throughout that time, Jeremiah preached many, many sermons. And today, we're going to overview some of those sermons as are recorded in Jeremiah chapter 13 through 20. It's not just one sermon. It's several sermons. And this morning, we don't have the time to read all of it. It would take us some time. But as we go through an overview, it, I beg you, I beseech you to go home yourselves and read these sermons in their entirety. In their entirety. Because really, in many regards, they're very relevant to our world today. Some of the problems in the people and in the nation of Israel back in Jeremiah's day are some of the problems we have in America today. There's a difference in the fact that Israel was a theocracy and we are not, but it's intriguing that the unbelief parallel and the need for people to come to God in repentance, true repentance, is just as relevant. So this morning, we're going to look at an overview of some of those sermons that Jeremiah preached and the points that he made. And you know what's intriguing about Jeremiah? This is one part about Jeremiah I really find fascinating. Actually, Jesus is known for this too. He likes to teach using object lessons. So for 11 years, he's been carrying around this yoke, preaching and teaching. And God has him do many different object lessons. And when we come to Jeremiah chapter 13, could I have my screen now? We find God giving him a command. It says in Jeremiah 13, 1, thus saith the Lord unto me, go and get thee a linen girdle and put it upon thy loins and put it not in water. And so here Jeremiah, he goes and he buys himself a brand new linen girdle. 
And I imagine it was actually a whole lot fancier than this. And you see, the mention here of put it not in water is an implication of the fact that, the, that it was brand new. And it was to be worn in such a way that it would not need to be cleaned. Meaning that it was probably something a whole lot more fancy than this just little white strip of cloth. It was maybe embroidered and had beautiful patterns and was just a beautiful girdle. Well, what's a girdle? Well, it's like a belt. So Jeremiah went, he bought himself a linen girdle, a belt, and he tied it about his loins. Now, I know this looks cheesy here, but just imagine that I'm wearing a garb that Jeremiah would wear. And he wears this linen girdle. Again, Jeremiah, everything it seems is um, different. Uh, object lesson. And so he says in verse 2, so I, so I got a girdle according to the word of the Lord, and I put it on my loins. Now imagine he's going around carrying the yoke, and he goes down walking through the town, and hey, I like your new girdle. Right? You guys think that's weird? Well, you know, it, yeah, it maybe is, but keep in mind, we think of clothing as very disposable. Um, back in that day, clothing wasn't disposable. And when you got something new, it was nice. And this apparently, and actually we keep reading, we find out this was probably a very nice belt that was a very special belt to Jeremiah, and people would have noticed it. And so he wears this linen girdle. But then in verse 3, it says, The word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, Take the girdle that thou hast got, which is upon thy loins, and arise, go to Euphrates, and hide it there in a hole of the rock. So, Jeremiah's going to take his brand new, nice girdle, and he's going to go to the Euphrates. Somebody tell me, what is the Euphrates? You know what the Euphrates is? Morgan? It's a river, that's right. It's a famous and it's a great river. If we look up here on the screen, we see that blue line there coming from Jerusalem on up to the Euphrates. And maybe you can or can't see it, but I'll trace it out here. Where I'm going to trace out on the map is the flowing of the Euphrates River. It flows on down like this. Notice Babylon is here on the Euphrates. We don't know where Jeremiah went to hide it, but it wasn't just traveling across town. Jeremiah didn't just go down, you know, like to the St. Joe River here to bury this, this, or to hide in a rock this linen girdle. Uh, this would have been more like him going to the Mississippi um, and hiding this. That's quite a trip. So here in this little thing, God tells him to go to the Euphrates and to hide this girdle. And so he makes this trip. And I don't know if he went all by himself, if he went with a caravan, what he did, but he, he went and he took and, and he, he found a little hole in the rock there near the, near the Euphrates and he took that linen girdle and, and he hid it there. And then we don't know if he stayed there and, and along the Euphrates or if he went on to Babylon because we do find out later a hint that Jeremiah actually did visit Babylon. Maybe he went on and visited Babylon. I, I don't know what he did. I don't know if he came back to Jerusalem. But time went by. Time went by, and it tells us, it came to pass, verse 6, after many days, that the Lord said unto me, Arise, go to Euphrates, and take the girdle from thence, which I commanded thee to hide there. 
And so that's what Jeremiah did. Now, was he in Jerusalem? And did he make that trip all the way back to the Euphrates? Was he already there up by the Euphrates? So he goes and he comes back and he goes and he, he, he digs and he's to find his linen girdle and ta-ta, he finds it. How many of you want to wear this? Yeah, neither does Jeremiah. In fact, it tells us that when he found it, within the place where it was hid, the girdle was marred. It was profitable for nothing. Now, was this object lesson just for Jeremiah or for all of the people? I'm not exactly sure who all this message was for, if it was visible. But do you know the point of it? The point of it, God says to Jeremiah, is that my people, the nation of Israel, are like a linen girdle to me, a value, a treasure, a very important piece of your garment holds everything together. But the Lord says, after this manner will I mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. You see, Judah and Jerusalem, they think of themselves as something great, as a rich and, 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 and glamorous, fashionable girdle belt to be worn with glory. And God viewed them in that way. But he said because of their unbelief, as the message goes on, they, their pride shall be marred as this girdle is marred. Speaking of the judgment that would come. God, in fact, says that he had longed for the people to cleave to him as a girdle, as a girdle cleaves to a man. But in verse 11, it says, but they would not hear. He wanted them, he says, that they might be to him a people and for a name and for a praise and for a glory. But they would not hear. They continue in their sin and judgment is coming. They're going to be carried away to the Euphrates. You see, in order to get to Babylon, you'd go north like this blue line shows, and then you'd go down the Euphrates River to Babylon. And that's what's exactly going to happen to so many of the people. They're going to be carried, and, and you know what? They're going to be hidden in foreign lands, Babylon, for 70 years as their pride will be marred. And in all of this, God recognizes... They won't change. They won't change. In fact, here the aspect of this girdle as this, this, this message here in chapter 13 comes to a close, it's almost as if the Lord with Jeremiah, they, they, they bemoan the fact that as they're carried away captives, it describes them as losing their clothes, losing their shoes. And God's saying, it's because, 
verse 27, I have seen thine adulteries and thy, thy names, the lewdness of thy whoredoms, and thy abominations on the hills and the fields. Woe unto thee, O Jerusalem! Wilt thou not be made clean? When shall it once be? But the people, they didn't want to be that girdle close to God. And so God will take them and carry them captive and mar their pride. But you know the people didn't listen. God is trying to get their attention. In chapter 14, it tells us the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the dearth. This is the only record we have of a dearth during the days of Jeremiah, during those last years of, of the nation of Judah. A dearth. What's a dearth? A dearth is a famine. A dearth is when plants don't grow, when there is no food. And the Lord comes to Jeremiah during this dearth. It's really bad. How many of you, if this is what your garden looked like, would plow it and plant it? No farmer in his right mind would do that. He would be ashamed to plant seed and soil chapped like this. Jeremiah speaks of the soil in the land of Judah at this time being chapped. This here being a fulfillment of the warnings and the prophecies given way back in the days of Moses, that if the people turned from God, turned from his way, that he would make the heavens as brass and the land as iron. And the people of Israel are disobeying, and it has brought about this dearth, this terrible famine. Jeremiah goes on to speak of it in verse 2, that Judah mourneth, and the gates thereof languish. They are black unto the ground, and the city of Jerusalem is gone up. And their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters. They came to the pits and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads because the ground is chapped, for there is no rain in the earth. The plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. Yea, the hind also calved in the field. That's the, the deer, the animal, gave birth in the field and forsook it, forsook the little calf because there was no grass. The wild asses did stand in the high places. They snuffed up the wind like dragons. Their eyes did fail because there was no grass. They died. The livestock died. The animals died. There was no food. There was nothing for anyone. And Jeremiah continues to go on and identify that the reason for this particular dearth was because of the iniquities, the sins of Judah. It's interesting here because there's an acknowledgement here that the hope of Judah, the hope of the nation of Israel, is the Lord, is Jehovah. But you know what? The people won't come to Jehovah. The people won't trust in Jehovah. The people won't believe him. They keep on doing what they want to do. And it has come, become so terrible that God says to Jeremiah in verse 11, 
pray not for this people for their good. And you might think, whoa, what an awful thing to say. Well, really, God is telling Jeremiah to pray just like Elijah did before. Elijah, you know, prayed for three years that it would not rain. Did you know that? We often read, read about Jeremiah and think of him as the one who prayed and brought rain. And that's really great and incredible. But the real full story, according to James, is that he actually prayed for three years that it did not rain. And then he prayed that it rained when the people turned back to the Lord. And God says, here, don't pray for their good. The judgment that they're under, they deserve. It is coming. And throughout this whole passage here of Jeremiah chapter 14 and 15 is an exchange going back and forth between Jeremiah and the Lord. And Jeremiah is in the midst of all of this. And here you have the death of these people and the land chapped. And you know what? When there's no water like that, you know what ends up happening to the people's lips? The people's lips get chapped. You ever had chapped lips? You're dehydrated if you had chapped lips. Imagine your lips being like that. Well, in the midst of these people having chapped lips and starving, dying of thirst, do you know what the prophets were saying in Jerusalem? They were telling the people, you will not see the sword. You, you shall not have famine. You will have peace. Now, here's what I cannot believe, but yet we see it happen over and over in life. The people are in the middle of a famine, and the lying prophets are saying, you won't have famine. Huh? Who's going to believe those prophets when you're in the middle of a famine? The tragic thing is, is that so many people did believe them. In fact, the Lord said to Jeremiah in verse 14 that the prophets prophesied lies in my name. They were prophesying these lies in the name of the Lord. Jeremiah goes through all of this and recounting the horrors that's coming about from this famine. And in verse 20, he prays, we acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against thee. Do not abhor us for thy name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of thy glory. Remember, break not thy covenant with us. Jeremiah, wait a minute. Jeremiah's praying for the good of the people, isn't he? Well, he's actually praying that God remember promises he's made. Well, don't let the chapter division get you off track here as you read it later. For God answers Jeremiah, and he says to him, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be towards this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. The day of provocation has come, and God is telling Jeremiah, listen, you're praying for the good of these people? Even if Moses was here, who once prayed that God would spare the people, and God heard his prayer. If Moses were here praying for them, it wouldn't change what happens. If Samuel the prophet were here and praying for these people, it wouldn't change what's happening. He goes on to explain that the reason this judgment is coming is because of the sins of Manasseh. That was 
uh, well, let's see, Josiah, three generations ago. Three generations ago. And you might say, wait a minute, I thought God says that God, he wouldn't punish the sons for the sins of their fathers and the fathers for the sins of their sons. And you'd be right. We're going to find out as it goes on later in another sermon that their fathers sinned. And the people in that generation were doing worse than their fathers. It was continuing on and trouble was coming. But even in the midst of all of this, God speaks of a remnant. He speaks of a remnant in this sermon and he talks about the fact that he's going to do good. And as we put all these together, we're going to find out that actually God's going to take these people. It's actually part of the symbolism of that linen girdle being put there and brought back. He's going to mar their pride, but they're going to come back. He's going to go back and he's going to get them and he's going to bring them back. Peace, underlying theme of so many of these sermons. Jeremiah is overwhelmed. He's being hunted. Here he is. Everybody's telling people during the midst of this famine, during the midst of them losing their cattle, not having anything to eat, and they're telling everybody, There's, there'll be no famine. No one's going to die by the sword. And Jeremiah's the one guy out there saying, yes, it is going to happen because of your iniquities. And he is hunted and he is persecuted for this. But God reminds him here at the end of chapter 15 that even though the people are hunting him and persecuting him, he's going to be like a wall to them a fenced, brazen wall. They'll fight against him, but they will not prevail against him. Then we come to Jeremiah chapter 16, and God gives a pretty big task, or he gives him a big command. Jeremiah chapter 16, the word of the Lord came also unto me, saying, Thou shalt not take thee a wife, Now, I think back to my wedding day, and it was a special day. And every day since, having a precious wife with me in life. God told Jeremiah, you do not take a wife. You, Jeremiah, do not have sons and daughters. This was a sign. Has anybody ever come to you and said, hey, why aren't you married? You don't have to raise your hands. I know some of you have been asked that question. Why aren't you married? Imagine if you had to give this response. Well, I'm not getting married because God told me not to. Because God told me the day is coming when the wives will suffer unthinkable things in this world. And their sons and their daughters will be butchered and killed and slaughtered. And that's why God told me not to get married. You think you'd get some weird looks? You sure would. Imagine trying to explain that to your grandma. God told him, don't get married. It was for a sign. Now, some of you who may not want to get married, don't try to use this as a proof text not to get married. This was for Jeremiah, and it was for a very particular time. And it's interesting, though, even in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul actually kind of cites the illustration as well that for the present distress, he wasn't married for the same kind of reason. But that's not all that God told him to do. Well, here in this, God said, don't, don't get married because they shall die grievous deaths. 
It's just horrific what's described here. There'll be mass graves. Dead bodies will be as dung upon the face of the earth. I just don't even want to hear it. This is why God said don't get married. But but then God gave him another command in verse 5. For thus saith the Lord, enter not into the house of mourning, neither go to lament nor bemoan them. God says, don't go to funerals. Don't go to funerals. Imagine, and I don't know how all this happened, but imagine a close friend or a close relative of Jeremiah's dies. They have a funeral. Jeremiah doesn't go. You ever been asked why you didn't go somewhere? (laughs) I have. Thank God I didn't have to give the reason Jeremiah did. They take him to Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah, why didn't you go to so-and-so's funeral? Jeremiah would say, well, because the day is coming when there will be no peace, when there will be no funerals, when the dead will just be cast out into the pits. And there will be no peace allowing for mourning. Verse 8. God has something more for Jeremiah. He says, Thou shalt not also go into the house of feasting to sit with them to eat and to drink. Now, I know some of you like to go to parties, don't you? Sometimes we have parties at weddings. See, looky here. You see all those people back there? They're all having a party at my party. God says to Jeremiah, not only can you not get married, you can't go to the wedding feasts of your friends or any other feasts that are going on. And so, somebody invites you to a party, invites you to a wedding. Jeremiah doesn't show up. Come ask Jeremiah, Jeremiah, why didn't you go to your friends or your brothers or your sister's wedding? And Jeremiah responds and says, because the day is coming when all mirth voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride shall cease. There won't be any parties. And I'm not going because I'm warning you of that day that shall come. And then in verse 10, God tells Jeremiah, that it shall come to pass when thou shalt show this people all these words that they shall say unto thee, wherein hath the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? Or what is our iniquity? Or what is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? The people are going to say to Jeremiah, why is the God so mean to us? What have we done? And here Jeremiah tells them, God tells them, him to tell them, thou shalt say unto them, because your fathers have forsaken me, saith the Lord, and have walked after other gods, and have served them, and have worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law, and don't miss verse 12. And ye have done worse than your fathers. For behold, ye walk every one after the imagination of his evil heart, They may not hearken unto me, 
Therefore will I cast you out of this land into a land that ye know not, neither ye nor your fathers, and there shall ye serve other gods day and night, where I will not show you favor. Beginning at verse 14 and continuing on, Jeremiah, the Lord, changes the message. And he says, you know, I'm famous for something. Did you know God is famous for something? God is famous for taking the children of Israel up out of the land of Egypt. That was a big deal. He's famous for that. God says, you know what? I'm going to take and I'm going to scatter my people. I'm going to carry them into captivity. But you know what I'm going to be famous for in years to come? That even though I scattered them into captivity, I'm going to draw them from these places back. He's basically telling Jeremiah, you asked me to remember my covenant. You asked me earlier to remember what I promised. I will. But first, these people must be judged. You see, they will not believe God when times of peace, in the times of the drought, they will not believe God. They'll totally ignore their problems and act as if they don't even have a drought and believe the false lying prophets saying, there's no drought. And God's going to bring them to a point where he has to mar, mar their pride. You know about pride? It talks about a haughty spirit and pride brings about destruction, doesn't it? They're too proud to humble themselves under God and admit that they're wrong. Even here in this point, what have we done? What, Jeremiah? What have we done wrong? When they're worse than their father's. But in all of that, God doesn't forget his promises. He doesn't forget his covenant. And he is going to mar their pride. But later, he's going to bring them back to the land as he has promised. Jeremiah chapter 17 is a famous passage. Here in Jeremiah 17, we learn some important things. In verse 5, the Lord says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. See, there's a lot of people trusting in the false prophets and trusting in man and trusting in, in Zedekiah and, and trusting in the king of Egypt and trusting in all kinds of men. And God says, cursed be the man that trusteth in man. But then look in verse 7. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Here in the midst of all of this trouble and what's coming, it's warned, trust the Lord. Now, you might hear people sometimes tell you, follow your heart, trust your heart. Well, in the midst of this command to not trust in man, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, we keep reading a little bit further and we find out about our heart in verse 9, that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You might think your heart's good and safe to trust in. Well, it's not. Who can know it? Verse 10 gives us the answer to that question. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, the kidneys, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. God knows your heart. He knows what things are important to you, even those things that no one else sees and knows. God knows them. Do you know that our kidneys are a filter? They filter our blood. Here he says, I try the reins. Our kidneys filter out the impurities that are in our blood. 
God says, I can distinguish what is pure and what is impure. I know the reins. Thus, blessed is the man who trusts in me. He continues on in this chapter speaking of hope, of hope. But in the midst of this, Jeremiah still has lots of trouble. This message wraps up in verse 18, and then the theme kind of changes a little bit. Remember, Jeremiah, I've been telling you, has been carrying this yoke, this yoke for for many years. That's pictures from a long time ago, isn't it? Have I gotten old? Some of you are shaking your head. Some of you just smiling at me. Yes, I've gotten old. That picture was taken 11 years ago. Does that give you a picture for how long Jeremiah carried the yokes? Imagine me, since that time, carrying these yokes in Jerusalem. 11 years. You know, Jeremiah carried those yokes every day, I think. But one. Guess what day he didn't carry them? The Sabbath day. Imagine on the Sabbath day seeing Jeremiah. Hey! You probably got, he was probably the running joke in town. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, he's the guy with the yoke, he's the guy with the yoke. And then imagine how much you'd notice it on the Sabbath day when he doesn't have a yoke. God tells Jeremiah to go on the Sabbath day, stand in the gate to the children of the people, whereby the kings and the people come, come and go, and tell them. Verse 21, take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah stands in the gates of Jerusalem on this particular day without his yoke. And he says to them, you all who are carrying their yokes, stop carrying your burdens on the Sabbath day. In fact, one of the reasons for the 70 years is because the children of Israel didn't abide by the sabbatical year or by the Sabbath. That was a reason for it coming, one of the reasons. That's the, that's the reason for the time period of it. God, and so Jeremiah says, stop it. And if you don't stop it, instead of what is intended by these gates to have glorious kings coming through them and in them, there will be a fire kindled in these gates. But they wouldn't listen. So the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and now we find in chapter 18 another sermon. God says to Jeremiah, Arise, go down to the potter's house. And so Jeremiah, he goes down and he goes to the potter's house. And the potter is the guy who makes pots. And he goes, and I don't know if he went into the shop, but he starts watching the potter making the pots. You know, it's kind of mesmerizing watching it, especially when you have such a beautiful potter as this one. The potter's making the pot. I don't know what this looks like. Um, You know, it's coming into shape. It's coming into form. And I'm watching. And and you watch with me, this potter. What's she making? You might notice that this little lump of clay is a little wobbly. Interesting thing about pottery is you got to get the clay on the wheel centered. Otherwise, it kind of sort of wobbles. Already, this is messed up because the clay won't submit to getting centered. (laughs) It's fighting through it, but yet it's still under the hand of the potter. 
uh-oh. Did you see that? Why did she strike that, 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 that pot? For Jeremiah, as he was standing there, behold, uh, he saw the potter and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. But so he made it again. Another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. They could have chosen to submit to the potter's hand, to let him make something beautiful out of them. And you see here that the potter has done just that, right? But you know, that pot first had to be marred. Something was wrong with it. This was a live demonstration, so she couldn't do it all the way back, but this was a problem because the clay wasn't centered and it was warbly. She had to mar it, and really she should have crushed it all the way down if she had the time to recenter it, crush it down into that ball and center it on that wheel to then reform it and shape it. God is basically telling the children of Israel, you see that potter? Go to the potter's house. Learn, learn from the potter. You are like that clay. Now, you think you can be stubborn and obnoxious, and you think you can shape yourself the way you want to do, but in the end, I will shape you. And if I choose to mar you, I can also choose to reshape you. And God is telling them, I'm going to mar you. How many of you were kind of like, oh, when she, when she marred the vessel? Well, that's the way these people are. How dare you mar us, God? Mar our pride. God says, please humble yourself. Know that I have the power over you as the potter has power over the clay. Well, then, Jeremiah, he comes and... Um, the Lord has another message for him. And the Lord says to him, uh, go and get uh, a potter's earthen vessel. So, Jeremiah, go get yourself a pot. Go get yourself a bottle. And take the ancients of the people. How many of you here claim to be ancients of the people? <laughs> the elders. Well, just imagine that you come with me, and we're going to go outside of Jerusalem, and we're going to go down into the valley of the son of Hinnom. Now, if you know that name, you might think, oh, the valley of the son of Hinnom. That's the place where they sacrificed babies. That's the place where they brought their trash and their dirt. God has Jeremiah bring the ancients of the village, the city, down into the valley of the son of Hinnom, down into the ruins of that great worship center that Solomon had built, which, by the way, was destroyed in the days of Josiah 300 years later, and here by this time, just one generation later, it's been rebuilt. God says, take them down there. Take them down there. Take with you, take with you a bottle and tell them that here in this valley, this valley of the son of Hinnom will become a mass grave. 
You, your people, will die and be buried in mass graves and left for the beasts of the fields. God says, when you've told them all of this and tell them that they will die, God says, take that vessel you have there and break it in their sight. And that's what Jeremiah said, did. And then he gave this word of the Lord. Even so will I break this people and this city as one breaketh a potter's vessel that cannot be made whole again. I challenge you, you come try to put this back together. These are called potsherds. They're now good for nothing. God says, that's how I am going to humble you. And then, when he has finished this, having brought together with him the ancients of the people and the ancients of the priests, these are the great men of Jerusalem giving them this illustration. He comes back with them to the very temple. And in the temple, he begins to tell the people and to prophesy in the court of the Lord's house. And he says, verse 15, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon this city and upon all her towns all the evil that I have pronounced against it, because they have hardened their necks that they might not hear my words. So do you think the people will listen? Do you think the people will stop having their hardened necks and refuse to hear? Well, let me tell you about the son of the priest, Pasher, who was the son of a priest, who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord. He heard what Jeremiah had said. And what do you think he's going to do? Well, imagine for a moment, I'm Jeremiah. And do you think now here, the sons of the priest, remember, Jeremiah himself is the son of a priest. Hilkiah is Jeremiah's father, one of the high priests. And now Hilkiah's son is preaching in the court of the temple of the Lord. And there's the governor of the house of the Lord. He hears this message. And what do you think he does? This doesn't look very nice. Are you really? Can I at least have my Bible? Oh. I don't know how the order of this chapter goes. But you know, I imagine about here, verse 14 applies. 
Cursed be the day wherein I was born. Let not the day wherein my mother bare me be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, saying, A man-child is born unto thee, making him very great. And let that man be as the cities which the Lord overthrew and repented not. And let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noontide, because he slew me not from the womb, or that my mother might have been my grave, or her womb to be always great with me. Wherefore came I forth out of the womb to see labor and sorrow, that my days should be consumed with shame. I quit. Jeremiah was thrown and put into the stocks. This is not very comfortable. Here he had preached truth. They wouldn't hear it. Instead, they put him in the stocks. That night, I don't know that Jeremiah got any sleep. I don't think I could sleep in this. What's going to happen to Jeremiah? We're all out of time. In fact, we're over time. You're just going to have to wait and find out. But can you come get me out of here? <laughs> oh. We're going to come back and find Jeremiah next week. But in the meantime, let's not be a people of stiff necks. I actually have a stiff neck this morning. Let's not be a people of stiff necks. The day of provocation can come with unbelief, even to believers. Let's learn from these that we believe, that we humble ourselves under the hand of the good potter, and let him shape us, mold us. Let him have his way with our lives as we submit to him. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Jeremiah. May we be faithful. May we be believing and obedient people. We praise you now in your name. Amen.